Hello, and welcome to The Sable Muse, being the life of the Negro poetess Phyllis Peters, nay Wheatley, after the name of her one-time owners, written by herself in a state of delirium and included in a letter sent by the authoress near the end of her life and heretofore lost. Part the fourth. The war continues, causing much suffering, as war so often do, among the non-combatants. Mistress Wheatley experiences the war as a battle between liberation and deprivation. She, being crafty and courageous, survives, as does her hope. My freeing had been advanced some time before, but seeing the need for hospice, I'd remained within the household and performed such as reflects upon my solemn duty to unpin celestial grace. Quite soon then, for my ease, the papers were in order, so no heir within the house could count me as a share or win me through a suit. Such property as I was given came as paltry fees for all my years of service but could be quite better measured by my care and feeding and general sustenance. But with her death, the household changed. It seemed as if the breath had been released from some long-held-in sigh, and with the breath released, what had been seeding within burst forth as with an angry cry and swept us onward. My master maintained that all rebellion against the crown was horrid treason, and he'd often frown upon my fervor for the noble cause of great impartial freedom to be gained through provocations quite outside the laws. And now he held that God made monarch master through sacred vows that certified his right as shown by the investment of all might unto him by our Lord, and clearly proved by how some rule while others slave. Huh. Disaster would issue from rebellion. I was moved to credit his concerns, yet those who cried for liberty and soon for separation bespoke my soul. I felt that if a nation could form and hold equality for all, it would be from the revolutionary tide brought forth by freedom's strident, vigorous call. And so my writing grew with the unrest. For everywhere sweet liberty resounded, the casting off of tyranny expounded in all accorded unalienable right by dint of nature and its God, which blessed and adjured all to join force in the fight, removed the threat thrust on our colonies. Such heady times. How could I not be fused to such a cause? A girl, a slave, one used, brought to this land in ways too foul to tell, left only with the faintest memories of my own mother bowing at the well to thank her gods for water after warm and sultry days, the happy rivers teeming with such abundant life. I look back, seeming to understand, and forward to the time when, with my truest faith, 
the deepest swarm of feeling in my soul. I can hear chime the sacred bells of freedom, and so walk as free among the men of each and all the nations freed within the brilliant call of revelation, reconciliation among my people. I cannot but talk and sing springtime's blush as demonstration, and fix my hopes that priceless liberty would conquer prejudice, as God is said to come impartially into the red, or white, or brown, or black. As revelation is open to us all, enslaved and free, so can equality approach each station, eternal, open, free. The revolution devoured my heart with hope, for soon all souls would walk in reason's light as it unrolls beneath God's truth of universal grace for all. My master's words made the solution more evident. I soon found my own place. My master died soon after that. His son and then the daughter moved to England, so I sought such work as I felt I could do in my infirm condition. And now, free of such responsibilities as none but women know, I thought in ecstasy of opening a school for my kind to aid their moral strengthening, but found the separation somehow cut the ground beneath my feet. Those whom I once had known as friends in social settings now did mind their tongues in passing me, and frowns were thrown upon attempts at conversation, even a point of fear that I would be attacked to pay for some servility I lacked in speaking out so freely. I perceived a plaguish meanness in some people, given the general conditions they believed distinguished me, a free and married soul from them. Such harsh awakenings resound. Our lives are rumbled, boiling wars, the sound of which increases steadily. The red of soldiers in bright uniforms will pull the world this way still more. They oft were fed quite willingly, but too often imposed their martial law on any homes that were to their desire, which practice caused a stir of indignation heightened by the brawl, as each night all the public houses closed with noisy soldiers barely fit to crawl into the gutters where they sometimes slept in drunken stupors. Soon the general air of discontent was trembled with a flare of insurrection as the anger rose against these impositions. Passions leapt out of such hearts as normally repose in fevered public moments. All soon dawned a guise such as the credulous world knew when years before the rebel rousers threw the tea into the harbor to express their anger at taxation. And beyond, the sense arose that one could not repress the voice that threaded through the colony the way a snake would thread luxurious coils through grass. My journey undertaken, toils released, my womb in yield, my mistress dead, I now watched as the whole community advanced into war's flames. Could I not dread for all our fates? One family turned to ashes. My thoughts of this land were now sweetly tempered by recollection of a land remembered. Another woman bowing to the east I once known as my mother. Sudden flashes of memory, 
perhaps of what I least expected. Recognition, recompense emerging in the possibilities that strengthen now within me. Beyond trees, so far past hope, all seemed now caught in dream. A world around me bending out of sense as time and circumstance fished to redeem those thoughts and visions flowing out like water. And yet a real possibility appeared behind such words as liberty. Injustice seemed for these brief, filmy years as palpable as clay touched by the potter that takes its shape as each hand swoops and veers to gently round out all deficiency that marks the vessel of our lives. The war erupted. Young lads lay shot in the roar of musketry. Death's voice filled each report of slaughter. Lexington saw butchery, and Concord suffered much the same. The port fell quickly to the foe. Blockade and siege succeeded. When the British came, the fight was fierce. Our army fell back in the night and then began the firing of the town. We fled the burning sections, but the rage of smoke and flame was such to make us drown in terrors marked by ecstasy. The world ablaze. The yielding blockade. We heard the cannon and the musket shot resounding in the distance, and the smoke that drifted through the streets seemed like a slur, obliged by the malevolence that spoke through all these horrid strokes of war. The air was filled with puffy ciphers that snared all they fettered, each amorphous in its scrawl, each hostile in its message. War became escape from time, lacuna. Soon our fair dear Boston burned again, lives ruined, the game of war's fierce hungers played on hungry times. In secret, I wrote odes and letters, dense exploratory tests of words, intense re-renderings of dear Columbia, the ornament of liberty, whose rhymes foretold the freedom of America, appeal to rights of man, equality, such sounds as were expressed by men who seemed predestined to fulfill all that they dreamed through insurrection when this war began. We now were drenched in blood and would be free, it seemed, in death. Freed by the blood that ran so red and rich from black and white man both. In this invention of a newfound order we saw revealed the truths of sacred nature and nature's God, of life and liberty and happiness in union as the oath that bound the peoples of each colony. The savage hope that held the hand of reason and dispersed in the judgment of those years, the harsh effect of interposing fears now weighed upon us constantly. For all the difficulties of that time did season my own support of liberty. I'd call for insight and for learning from the one ideal, the sight of liberty emblazoned within a heaven called the future, reason to be far better than the times we'd see within this war. I only hope to summon whatever hope would let us finish free. My marriage, you know, soon ensued, as said, 
And so began that portion of my life in which I maintained duties as a wife, while he whom I had married came and went, alive with all the enterprise that fed his dreaming. I kept my own duties, bent on being mindful of his word, as it is woman's ordained office to obey. For some time we had rooms, but with the play of fortune in those times, I'd lodge elsewhere or live alone at times. If love's sweet profit requires its object's presence for its share of full or wholesome food, then we defiled, though this word is too strong, the sanctity that comes from union, and stayed somehow free of that most deep-held bond. Each circumstance demanded, even as I filled with the child, his oft-times long removal on the chance of some success or other. He seemed called as far out in the world as he could go without, in fact, being gone. And as you know, I suffered through it as the world collapsed through that harsh war. In fact, sometimes when galled by hunger, I would seek what could be grasped of any aid and sought out any port that I could harbor in. His interest grew, but nearly all he earned was spent anew on covenants of promised wealth. At first, I too believed and felt that each report of opportunity was near a burst with golden paths to fortune. I was left with what small means I had, and would implore such friends as could to aid me as I bore the weight of pregnancy. Of course it's not intemperance that made him so bereft of any sense that every chance he got was not the door to what we both most needed. Security. Not one more call to gain respectability from any strain of business that would bear black. his chance allowed, but as each chance proceeded, though staying dutiful, I thought, at night sometimes alone, about how life had played. I tried to gain assignments as would fit domestic skills I had, for I could knit, and sew, or darn. Such work brought in some wealth while I served as his wife. Him I obeyed. Yet soon my passions faded with my health. And one day, while about to snip a hymn, I saw our marriage turn to an arrangement, devoid of choice. I came to know estrangement, and though I remained wife, knew where I stood. I took in work, bore children, buried them, and wrote in fragments every chance I could. survived then, sometimes amazed and stupefied with hunger. I sought space with the young black man left to mind the place his owner had deserted in his flight out of the city when it first was crazed with English fever. Later on, the light of kindness came from elsewhere. An old friend looked after us. We moved about a while. The countryside was ravished by the vile ransacking of all rations by the troops of either side, and food was scarce. 
I'd find would fed us every day. Life came in scoops of dry peas gathered here and there, clear water, a few old rags to clothe us, and the hail of harsh, remorseless winters. Like a shell that no longer housed life, the joy and ease we once had known lay fractured by the slaughter and what was worse, the pestilent disease that even all the lime thrown on the slain could not eliminate, for every house was plagued by it, worse than the foe. A douse of joy, my first child, ended when he fell into the pangs of fever and mist stain of blood and vomit passed. Through all that hell, we had to bury him amongst the graves dug for the soldiers. Our lives seemed to veer between explosions of the world with fear and listless neediness that neared starvation. My child had died. I too was close. Such powers as ever shaped the hard birth of a nation I plunged into the odes I used to purge the dread that seemed more numbing every hour. The harsh and final grave now seemed to flower and prospered with each pregnancy that came to sap my strength and empty me of urge to live without the little ones I'd named, even as I buried them. Salvation's gleam fills every death that brings us to begin existence in a realm outside of sin and misery, where all is new and more. In such harsh years, with freest hope, we dream that all will be revisited before the dire effects of war, the deprivation, the scrounging after food wherever one could, the bartering and selling of each good for far below its value, all the pain we suffered, clinging on, close to starvation, the way we saw no virtue and no gain of advantage in people who, corrupted, beguiled the citizens with each alarm. In my own sufferings, the breaking harm of deaths as foul plagues tortured us no end. My loss of my own children. The disrupted effect on my own marriage, as my friend and husband wandered far and wide for gain to reach the point that he was coming home less often than he was out on the roam for opportunities supplied by war. Those sad abuses breaking through the pain of all that we held in, sir, soon by far outstripped all the supposed gain one found in those bleak years. And yet I never waned in showing my support for those who gained their sometimes sorry victories, their losses more painful as the British did confound our knowledge with reports and endless bosses of polish to the rhetoric of king and crown, of loyalty, so-called to bind a hopelessness among us in the mind. And so I wrote each chance I could to give support to all our efforts, everything we stood for. If those years all did live from hand to mouth, from moment to next moment on what one could, I managed still to scribe a message to our leader and imbibe the muse and brave support of Washington, who soon received my missive and did front his own reply to me and thought to run the rallying of troops through pamphleteering of these meek rhymes. I sought to meet him, but my efforts failed. I wrote from heart and gut, 
for who'd acknowledge how this vast great reign of dear Columbia from profiteering was suffering, and how, for all our pain, establishment of true and noble commerce could represent the only noble end for our own country when each friend to friend we all shall benefit from that great wealth our newfound nation promises? No worse was all that I could do to maintain health as I put missive after missive out to post my poems and presses and to seek support for a new opus that would streak into the vast elysium of thought, the noble cause of freedom. Did I seek beyond the possible? Or was I caught, betrayed by hope, held by my skin? For each endeavor met with failure. Some would turn me out with such invective as would spurn the writings of a lowly black whose hope was obviously beyond the tainted reach of any gift that nature would have scoped to place into her hands. So do I end. dying as it now appears. It seems that everywhere the promise of my dreams collapses in this cradle of harsh war, this world in which I live without a friend, this child I bear within me, as before. The pains I have endured, the life I saw, the sick bed and the great weight of this child seem thinking to dismiss me. If the wild revision of my life were now allowed, would I be constant to the sacred law I learned here in this time? How would the crowd of faces take it if that day in youth, in maidenhead, I had not been removed into this country? Would I still have proved a noble soul, a poetess, the lamb of God's great blessing? Would the sacred truth have been revealed or necessary? Can I say without a doubt that all this pain and love was for my benefit, was bound to carry me through seas of sight and sound and suffering to such a sacred shore as this, the land where hope is all we gain, a westward land where all that lies before stands naked as a continent untamed, a promise or a curse, a corpse, a dream. May all affect us as we hope will seem amenable for all blessings we gain in God's salvation, memory so named to be our epitaph. So I remain your most obedient servant, Phyllis Wheatley. Sable was written by Alan Johnston. Phyllis Wheatley is given voice by Lauren Elise. The Interlocutor is given voice by me, Natalie Henry. Sable, a poem, was produced and directed by Brian Shaw. Audio recording, mix, and master was provided by GP Productions. Music used in this podcast is courtesy of the American Folklife Center of the Library of Congress 
It was recorded in 1977 at a Shape Note singing convention at Strangers Home Missionary Baptist Church in Chicago. Rajay Wolf provided the image. Special thanks to Sheila Baldwin, Pagin Reichert Powell, Dan Dietrich, and his audio crew. And most especially, thanks to Christine Brooks Coat and Shanty Press, where you can find Sable and selected poems at www.shantyarts.com. Sable, a poem was made possible by a part-time faculty development grant from Columbia College Chicago.